today's passage is in John chapter 6, verse 44, and that's on page 892 in the Bibles around the room. When I'm finished reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll reply, thanks be to God. So John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and the freedom we have to celebrate and worship you this Advent season. Help us to understand what it means to be chosen and loved by you, despite who we are and what we've done. We thank you for being our perfect Father. Amen. Living Stones. How are we doing? My name is Kyle. If you're new with us, it's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, we at Living Stones love the Bible, and so uh, we always preach sermons from the Bible. Today we're going to be in John verse 6, 44. Uh, so if you are um, don't have a Bible open, make sure you open up to that verse. And if you didn't bring a Bible, grab one of the ones around the room. That's going to be on page 892. And if you don't own a Bible, but you would like to, you're free to take one of those Bibles home with you as a gift. We would love for you um, to have that Bible. And John is actually a great place for you to start reading. So we are going through our Advent season. And it feels a little bit more like Advent now that it snowed yesterday, right? Pretty nice. Some of you are like snow haters, but don't be haters, okay? It is, uh, it's nice to have snow every once in a while. But um, we are going through Advent. And Advent, if you're new to church, just simply means uh, the arrival or the coming of a very important person. And the Advent season is a season in which the church longs uh, to remember the arrival of Jesus. And then also we look forward to the coming of Jesus again. And I'll explain more about that as we go. But it's a season of longing. And so when I was in college, uh, I had been dating my wife now, uh, but we were dating uh, since high school. And so uh, in college, uh, she's a year older than me. I got an older woman. Okay, she, uh, she's a year older than me. And, and I got into college first year. I did a, a semester up in Oregon at a school up there. And then I came back and I was doing uh, my finishing up here at UNR. And uh, my wife was in uh, Canada at a school up in Canada for a year. And that whole time that I was back here, I was just waiting, like counting down the days and hours until she would come home because I just, I longed to be united to her in love. And you know how you are when you're lovesick. You like have those calendars and you're just like, oh my gosh, how many days do I have to wait till I get to see my, my lady again? And, um, I just remember that season of longing. And that's actually a good picture of what the Advent season is about. 
It's the season in, we, in which we as the church long to be united to our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, church? And so that's what we're thinking about. So each one of these candles represents a different week leading up to the time of Christmas when Jesus Christ was given to us at his first advent. And so this is a season of longing. Now this year at Living Stones, we're, we're approaching advent from God's perspective. So a lot of times we've talked about Christmas and and what it means for us from our perspective, but this year we're approaching it from God's perspective. And God is a trinity. And what that means is God is one God, amen? I'm gonna ask that a lot today because today, the whole goal of me today is just to get us worshiping, okay? So you can say amen, that just means yes, I agree. You can say hallelujah, okay? You can whatever, grunt, I don't care, but worship today, all right? All right. So there's one God, and that one God is eternally exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each one of those persons has always been God, will always be God, and they are fully God. Amen? And so that's what this symbol represents here. Now, this is our symbol for the series, and some of you are like, that's so confusing. I don't understand. Let me explain it. Okay, Uh, we have God here. There's one God. Now, God is the Holy Spirit. God is the Son. God is the Father. But the Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. The Father is not the Son. And that's a picture. It's an ancient symbol of what the Trinity is. And if you're like, that kind of blows my mind. Yeah, God blows our mind. That's a big idea. But what we're looking at during this Advent season is we're going to take time. And each Sunday leading up to Christmas, we're going to say, what is each person of the Trinity's role at Christmas time? So uh, this week we're talking about Father Christmas. Next week we're talking about Christmas spirit and the Holy Spirit's role. And the following week we're going to be talking about Little Lord. And so today we're Father Christmas. And the big point for today's passage, Jesus says, nobody can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. The big point is this, that at Christmas, the Father draws us to the gift he gave us. At Christmas, the Father draws us to the gift he gave us. When I was a child, um, my parents would always, they would always give us Christmas gifts, but they always had like one special gift. And I remember one Christmas, we opened up all our gifts, and we're all happy, and then my dad was like, I think you need to go get something out of the garage. And I'm like, why? It's cold out there. And he's like, trust me, you want to go into the garage. And so me and my sister are like, he's like, just go get me a screwdriver or something. So I remember we going out and I'm like, okay, I guess we got to go get dad a screwdriver. And so we go out into the garage and there in the garage was a go-kart. And it was actually his go-kart that he had as a child and he restored it to give it to us at Christmas. And it was awesome. And what we see here is that my dad not only gave us this gift, but he drew us to it. And that is what the father does with Jesus. He gives us the gift of Jesus and then he draws us to Jesus. That is the role of God the father at Advent. And so first of all, what we see from this passage is this. Jesus is a gift from God the father. We see this when Jesus says, nobody can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Jesus is sent by God the father as a gift. He's sent to be a gift to us. Now, why do we know that Jesus is a gift? We can get it from his name. Uh, The name Jesus means God saves. That's the, like Jesus's name is his mission. 
when Jesus uh, was in his mother Mary's womb, uh, she was a virgin and the Holy Spirit caused her to have the baby Jesus. And so when Jesus was in the womb, uh, her fiance, Joseph, didn't believe that she got pregnant by the Holy Spirit, as probably you wouldn't believe either. You were like, sure, the Holy Spirit, that's his name. <laughs> she, his, Joseph didn't believe, so what did God do? Sent an angel to come to Joseph. And the angel said, Joseph, no, this is legit. All the time that you have, as the people have been hoping for, to like this child really is from the Holy Spirit. She's a virgin. And this is gonna be the savior of the world. And you're to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so that's why Jesus got his name. His name is his mission that he's come to save us from our sins. Now, a lot of people think about Christianity, that Christianity and, and the message of Jesus is good advice for good people. But that's not Christianity at all. It's good news for bad people. That's the message of Christianity. It's good news for sinners, not good advice for good people. And, and the reality is, is that all of us have messed up. Are you a sinner? Then there's good news for you. Because the Lord God the Father has sent you the gift in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. He's a gift. Now in verse 38, if you would just let your eyes go up to verse 38, um, Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. In other words, Jesus is saying that the purpose in me coming is not to do my will, but to show you the heart of God, to do his will. So he's saying, I am the gift from God. And if you want to know what the father is like, you can see the heart of the father by looking at the gift from the father. Isn't that how gifts go? A lot of times you can see somebody's heart by looking at the gift. And so the father shows us his heart by giving us this incredible gift, not to condemn us, but to save us. And, and, and I think that what we need to see here is that God, the father is a good and loving God. Now, I talk to a lot of people as a pastor, and they're like, you know, I do well with the idea like Jesus is God or God is almighty king of the universe, but I just have a hard time calling him father. Anybody say that before? You're not alone. There's a lot of people like this. And the reason is, is because our earthly fathers are a lot of times a bad picture of what the heavenly father is. A lot of times our earthly fathers are absent or they're abusive or they're harsh and overly judgmental and critical, or they don't show affection, or when they're there, they're not actually there. But God the Father shows us what his heart is like, and that he doesn't wish to condemn us, but he wishes to save us by sending us the gift of Jesus Christ. And so this is a great gift from God. And so at Christmas time, the reason why Christians have adopted uh, the idea of giving gifts to each other, which was a pagan idea that used to be for winter, celebrating the winter solstice. But Christians, once those people became Christians, they said to each other, now we actually have a reason to give each other gifts because God the Father has given us the best gift in salvation and relationship through Jesus Christ. And so we are the ones who actually have a good reason to give gifts because the Father in heaven is the true Father Christmas. Santa Claus is just, he wishes he could be like God the Father in gift giving. <laughs> the God the Father is the ultimate gift giver. And so what we see though is that God has given us the gift of Jesus, 
but it's not enough. We also need to be drawn to the gift. We, we won't see the gift unless he draws us to it. Look at what the passage says, verse 40, 44. Nobody can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, I think that this is very interesting because if we were to step back and read the whole paragraph and the context of what happened, Jesus did just one of his, one of his greatest miracles. Um, he, he took uh, a little, he, he, had, he was preaching all day and a huge crowd had come out to follow him. And uh, they got hungry and there was nowhere to go for food. And so Jesus says to his disciples, how about you feed them? And they're like, yeah, right. How are we going to feed all these people? He's like, and they all said, why don't you just send them home? And Jesus says, no, you feed them. How about you go see who has some food and you bring it to me and then we'll feed all these people. And so they bring a little boy in his lunchbox and he has, you know, some fish, a couple fish and a couple uh, pieces of bread. And Jesus says, yeah, that'll do. And he touches the bread and he touches the fish and he multiplies it and he hands it out and he feeds all these people. Now there was 5,000 men. That's not counting women and children. And so if these people have children, like Living Stones has children, there was like, like over 20,000 people. And that's legitimate. Most scholars think there's more than 20,000 people here that Jesus fed simply through touching a couple fish and bread. And then he multiplied it and he fed all these people, this great miracle. And because of that, this huge crowd is gathering around Jesus. They're right near him. And Jesus says, nobody can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. In other words, it is possible to be near Jesus, but not be drawn to him. Just because you're in proximity doesn't mean you love him. Doesn't mean that you're drawn and connected to him and dependent and trusting him. And Jesus says, the reason is, is because you can't. Nobody can come to me unless the father draws him. We need to be drawn by God the father. Nobody can come to Jesus Nobody can get to God based on their own moral effort. I know you think you're a pretty good person, but God's standard is perfection and he knows your heart and your thoughts. That should make every one of us tremble. He knows how messed up our hearts are. It's not that we can't come to God because he's forbidding us. Like we didn't make the VIP list or something. Um, like a lot of you are getting married, you know, and you have to do the hard thing, especially being in a church and you have to do pick who gets to be on the list to come to your wedding and who's not. And everybody's like, I want to come to your wedding. And you're like, you didn't make the list. God is not forbidding in that sense. The invitation of Jesus goes out to all. But the limitation is not on God's part. It's on our part. Even though the, the invitation goes out to all, we are limited. We are so blinded by our sin that we cannot see Jesus. We cannot see God's gift unless he opens up our eyes and guides us to him. And so we need to be drawn by the Father. And this is the doctrine of having a sinful nature. When you're born, you are not born a saint. You might be cute, but you're not a saint. You are born with a heart that is bent away from God. That's the product of the fall living in a sinful world. When every human is born, we're not even born with a clean slate. We're born with hearts that do not desire to, to follow God, to trust God, or to do his will. You're not born with a desire to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, or strength. You're not born with a desire to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, you don't have to teach a two-year-old to bite when somebody steals a toy. That's just in them, okay? You don't have to teach a kid 
to, uh, you don't have to teach a kid to be mean on the playground. That's just sin that's in them. I remember vividly when I was about in first grade, I drank a carton of chocolate milk almost to the end. There was a girl next to me and then I just dumped the rest on her head. And I got in trouble. I got written up, whatever, a plink slip. And my dad said, why did you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I just wanted to dump chocolate milk on her head. It was just in me, right? We've all done stuff like that. You don't have to teach a teenager to lust. You don't have to teach adults to be greedy or to be covetous. You don't have to teach people who've been hurt to not forgive. It's just in us. We have a sinful nature. It is in our nature to not choose God. And so if it's in our nature to not choose God, when God gives us God as a gift, are we gonna choose him? No. It's like if you put a coyote and a rabbit in a cage together, and it doesn't matter how much you tell the coyote, don't eat the rabbit. It's in his nature to eat the rabbit. Some of you have had uh, loved ones who are addicted to drugs. And you know how difficult it is that if, if you were to present to them, eat this healthy meal and, and, and deny drugs and pursue this path of health or take these drugs, what are they going to choose every time? The drugs. Because they're so addicted to it that their whole physiology has changed. The only way to help is an intervention. And that's what Jesus is saying here, is the only way for you to come to me is if God the Father does an intervention on your heart and draws you to me. It's the only way. Now, some of you might say, well, you know, I think I would come to Jesus if I saw a miracle. But guess what Jesus just did here in the passage? One of the biggest miracles ever, feeding over 20,000 people with a little kid's lunchbox. Like, and still people didn't believe. Um, some of us are in here and we're like, well, you know, I think I can come to God if I just, if I become a good person, if I go to church and I just, I, I can get right with God if I just start doing all these religious activities. No, the person or the people that Jesus specifically speaks to right here are the religious professionals. The people who would have been sought out as community as being the really, really good people. And Jesus is saying, look, being good isn't enough. You need me as a savior and you need the father to draw you to me. We need the father. And some of us are saying, you know what? I want to have a good time right now. I'm going to live my life, have a good time. When I'm older, then I'll give my life to Jesus. You don't have that much power. You cannot come to Jesus unless the father draws you. He is the one who has to do the work. And so the good news is of the gospel is we celebrate at Christmas is that this is what the father does. He draws people to himself. He draws us to himself. How does he draw us? Nobody can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Now, if you were to do a word study on the word draw, it can be translated in one of two ways. One, it can be a drawing by an un, a dragging an unwilling person. That's one way to interpret it. You can say it's dragging an unwilling person. So a picture of this is uh, New Year's Eve. We're going to have a bunch of people downtown. They're going to do fireworks. People are going to be drinking a lot of alcohol. Those two go together. And uh, sometimes people are going to get a little too rowdy. And there's going to be police officers there with their SWAT cars and their paddy wagons. And when people get a little too rowdy, what are they going to do? They're going to arrest them and they're going to drag them to throw them into the paddy wagon, even though those people are kicking and screaming and cussing and punching and yada, yada, yada. They're dragged against their will. Now, is that how God draws his people? 
I don't think so. Um, the other way that this can be interpreted is a drawing through a change of desire, a captivation of desire. And this is more the picture that when I first saw my wife, it was in high school, like I said, an older woman, she was a senior, I was a junior, and she walked into the room, she had uh, jean overalls, shorts on, golden tan, it was the middle of summer, freckles all over her face, I loved the freckles on her, she was smiling, and I was just captivated. I said to my sister right next to me, that girl's going to be my girlfriend. And it took me a long time, actually, to actually seal the deal. But I was drawn. I was drawn to her. She consumed my mind. She captured my heart. Something about her presence captured my attention, and I couldn't get it out of my head. And that's how the Father draws us to Jesus. Um, there's that old fable. I was listening to a pastor in the UK because I like listening to pastors over there because their accent makes them sound way smarter. You know, it just makes me feel like I'm getting smarter too. And so I'm listening to this guy and he says, it's like the old fable of uh, the sun and the wind. And they were having a dispute about which one of them was the strongest. And the sun was like, well, I think I'm the strongest and let's, let's prove it. Here's a guy walking down the path. He's got a coat on. Between the sun and the wind, let's, let, let's see which one of us can make him take his coat off first. And so the sun said, wind, you go first. So the wind did. And it blew and blew and blew and blew. And no matter how hard it blew, the harder it blew, guess what the guy did to his coat? The, he clung to his coat even tighter. And so the sun said, you ain't got a chance. My turn. So then the sun goes up and he just starts blazing in all of its glory. And he starts warming the guy. He starts warming him with the presence of of his glory. And after getting warm enough, eventually the guy said, man, I'm too hot. I'm going to take off my coat. And it's a proof that warming of glory is stronger than force to make somebody obey. And this is how God leads us and draws us to himself. God could force us to bow even if we don't want to, right? Like I think of uh, Loki on the Avengers. He comes down and he just like through his force, he's like, everybody kneel. Like God is almighty king of heaven and earth could do that. But how does he do it? He doesn't come in that kind of power. He comes as a child. He comes teaching and doing miracles and showing us his love. He comes blazing with all of his glory that we would be drawn to him. And through that, there's a change of our will, change of our desire so that we would want Jesus. Nobody follows Jesus and is like, yeah, I hate this guy, but I'm following because I have to. All followers of Jesus at some point or another have had the time in their life where the father changed their heart and they said, I love Jesus. Now you might say, well, yeah, he came after me and I was kicking and screaming. But eventually at some point in your life, there was a time when you chose to follow Jesus because he changed the will inside. He, did, he, he warmed your desire. Reminds me of a story of a guy named Dave. He's a friend with Jason Simmons. And Dave is a member up at a, a Grace Church up in Northwest Reno. And Dave uh, was in a bike gang, um, just this super hard dude. He loved to hurt people. He was a violent guy doing lots of, uh, he was doing drugs, doing meth, selling meth. And he got thrown into prison and he got put into solitary confinement. And he says in solitary confinement, it was this little room and a brick room, and there was a toilet attached to the wall, a bed attached to a wall, and that's it. And then you got a Bible. And he said, you can only sit there and count the blocks before you get really bored. 
And so he's, and he's, he said, how can I, he hated the Bible. He's like, why would they give me this? And he said, how can I tear it up and just like throw it underneath the door? But after he got bored enough, he's like, no, maybe I'll pick it up and read it. And so he just started reading it. And in four days, he read through the whole thing, every chapter, every word. He just read the whole thing. And then he mocked it the whole time. He's like, oh, that's a stupid book. And he put it down. But then guess what happened a couple days later? He's like, well, I think I need to pick up that book again. So he picks it up. And again, he reads it all the way through, every chapter, every word. And this time it starts to catch his attention and he puts it away. The third time he reads through it, every chapter, every word. He has nothing else to do, but he's just captivated now by this book. And what he said is specifically captivated was the fact that God chose messed up people like David and Samson and Paul, these guys who were just awful people, but God chose to love them. He said, he read that thing four to five times while he was in solitary confinement. And he said, finally, on the last one, I just fell down and wept because I said, if God can love the thief on the cross, he can also love me. And he said, I hated that I was weeping because I was a tough guy, but I couldn't stop myself. Now, what is that a picture of? God drawing Dave through desire. He couldn't stop picking up the book. And what's so, and this is how God works. He draws us. This is how the father works. He draws us to Jesus. Now you might hate him, but eventually God starts to work on your heart. And then you're like, wow, I love Jesus. And I love his grace that he offers me. Now, if we were to go around the room and I were to have you stand up and say, what drew you to Jesus? What drew you to Jesus? What drew you to Jesus? We would all have different things. Some of you would say his powers, his teaching, his word, his miracles, his gift of forgiveness, that he took away my shame, that he's my strong tower, my protection. We would all have different things that we would say about Jesus. And that just shows how awesome our father in heaven is because he loves us personally and individually and he knows what you need and he says, I'm gonna use what you need to get you to my son because the father draws us to the gift he gave us. He's drawing us and there's good news if he draws you. Look how the verse ends. Jesus says, nobody can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. What this is referring to, if you're new to the Bible, is this. When God first created humanity, they chose not to follow him. They sinned against him. And because of that, death and brokenness entered this world. But on that day, God made a promise that he was going to send a savior. And so the whole Old Testament is God unraveling what the savior would be like. And then when we get to the New Testament, we see Jesus given to us and he is the savior. He lives a perfect life on our behalf. Amen. He, die, he defeats the devil like the devil comes at him with his hardest blows to try to tempt him. And Jesus still defeats him. And then he goes to the cross and dies for our sin because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Somebody has to pay for the crime that we've done. And so Jesus pays on our behalf. And then he goes into the grave and three days later, he resurrects from the grave and, and he conquers death because no human has been able to conquer death. But Jesus does making it way for a possibility of a new humanity. And then he goes around for 40 days and he reveals himself to people. And he says, this is good news. Go tell the whole world. I'm gonna go back up into heaven. I'm gonna empower you by my Holy Spirit. And when everybody that is supposed to believe believes, I'm gonna come back and renew this thing. And so that's where Jesus sits right now, ascended in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And there's a promise that he will come again. There will be a second advent. And when he comes again, he's gonna renew this broken world and he's gonna renew our broken bodies. Hallelujah. There will be no more hospitals. 
Sorry, nurses and doctors. You'll have to have a new occupation in heaven. There will be uh, no more crime. No more evil. The world will not be, have as much brokenness and devastation. No wildfires that are burning up whole cities. It will be a new world. It will be heaven on earth. And you will see your God face to face. And you will be assured that you're not crazy, that everything you've believed is true because he's going to be right there. There will be no more need for preachers. I'm going to have to have a new occupation because you can just go and talk to Jesus right there. It will be a new heaven. Now, think about this, new bodies, okay? I've been having some severe chronic pain uh, and I'm just like, God, thank you for a new body that's coming. Can, you know, can I get an amen for that? All the young people are like, I don't understand. Trust me, you'll get there. There will be a day when, when you get there and you're like, I need a new body. As, as your friends start dropping and, you know, like, you're going to be like, we need a hope and a new body. And it's true. The promise for us is this. If you're drawn to Jesus in his first advent, you'll be raised with Jesus at his second advent. You will be. He says, I will raise them up on the last day. Not I might. I will. And that's so comforting because sometimes we think that we come to Jesus and God draws us by his grace, but then it's on us to live out the rest of our Christian life. And thanks be to God that that's not the case. The same father who draws us by his power keeps us by his power. Like so many of us are plagued with guilt. Be honest with me now. So many of us are plagued with guilt in this room because you're a Christian, but you know you failed God and you just feel like a screw up and you really do think that God has it out for you because you keep messing up. And that's not true. That's a lie out of the pit of hell. God is not gonna abandon you if you've come to his son. And you may, you may backslide hard, but the promise is, is that he will draw you back. And you will be raised on the last day. You are not strong enough to run away from his grace. And guess what? The devil's not strong in you enough to pull you out of Jesus' grip. Not even the devil. He can come at us with all his might. But because we're in God's loving arms, he will hold us. This is the promise. Jesus says, I will raise you on the last day. It's as sure as a law of nature. Think about a law of nature, like water and ice. When you put water into the freezer and it reaches freezing temperature, what's it going to transform into? It will transform into ice. As sure as that is, you can be sure that if you are drawn to your Lord Jesus Christ by the Father, you will be transformed into a heavenly body when he returns. You will be with him in glory. It's a fact. And so this is the hope of Christians, that the Father draws us to the gift he gave us. Now, what can we take from us? Well, I want you to think first about that this is what God is doing in the Advent season. This is what Christmas is all about. God drawing his people. Think about the story. When Mary first got impregnated by the Holy Spirit, um, Joseph didn't believe. He was going to divorce her quietly. But what did God do? He sent an angel to appear to Joseph in just the way that Joseph needed to draw him to Jesus. And then there was these shepherds out in the field. And when the baby Jesus was born out in the manger, what did, what did God the Father do? He sent a whole mess of angels to fill up the sky with trumpets and to say, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. For unto you is born this day a Savior in Bethlehem. 
And they were drawn. They said, let's go see this thing. And they were drawn to Jesus. And then what does he do? God hangs a star over Bethlehem. And even from the east, the far off land of the east, there's some rich guys called the wise men or the three kings. And they bring to Jesus, they see the star, it's an anomaly. So they come all the way traveling hundreds of miles just to see Jesus. These were people that the Jews would have already written off as outside of salvation, but God draws them to himself. Different skin color, different language, rich guys, God drawing to himself. And here we have a picture of who God draws to himself. It's a picture of what the church should look like. Mary and Joseph were these poor teenagers who were just trying to figure out life. The shepherds were just a bunch of average Joes. Nobody special. They were guys just out there in the field. Nobody would have considered them worthy of being the recipients of seeing the the Savior first. But God did. And then there was these wise men, people of a different skin color, different language, who were really wealthy people. And that should be a picture of the church. The church should be filled with people who are young and old and poor and wealthy and white and black and tan and speak different languages. This is a picture of who God is drawing to himself. The father draws us to the gift he gave us. So as we think about that, we step back and we say, what does this have to do with me today and this week? I think it does five things for us. Number one, it humbles us. It humbles us in regard to our salvation. If you're sitting here as a worshiper of Jesus, it is not by your own merit. It is because the Father drew you. And the key to worship is is admitting that you didn't bring anything to the table. And some of you are in here and you're seeking God and you think that you can impress God enough to like you by being better than your neighbor but you need to humble yourself to come to Jesus and admit that you have nothing to offer. This is the cry of the Christian. Simply to the cross, I cling, nothing in my hands I bring. Living stones, we are not here because we brought something to the table. We are here because we were drawn by the Father. Amen? Hallelujah. I like what Sally Lloyd-Jones says. She says, the only thing you need to become a Christian is nothing. That's precisely why a lot of people don't become Christians, because that's the very thing they don't have. They're too proud to admit that they have nothing. So it humbles us. It humbles us in regard to our salvation, but it also humbles us in regard to the people we love uh, salvation. We want lots of people to worship Jesus. And so a lot of times the trap that the church falls into is if we can have great preaching, great music, great services, if we can be in the city for the city, if we can be churches planting churches, God's going to do this great movement. But guess what? Nothing ain't going to happen unless the Father draws people to himself. I can get up here and just preach my butt off and God's not going to do anything unless he draws them to himself. We can have the best preachers, the best music, We can have like fog machines and like just stuff falling from the ceilings and just feels like angels just coming in glory, but nothing will happen unless the father draws people to himself. You can have miracles and nothing will happen unless the father draws people to himself. So it humbles us as a church, which leads me to my next point. It should make us prayerful. If we really want to see God move, then we got to be praying that God would draw people to himself. My favorite Psalm, Psalm 127. Nobody, uh, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build it in vain. 
Unless the Lord watches over the city, those who watch over it watch in vain. God is the one who has to do the work. And so you might have, you might be a parent and you want your child to worship Jesus and you're like training them up in the way that they should go. And you're like trying to teach them the Bible. You can be the best Bible teacher in the world, but it won't happen unless God draws them to himself. And so what you know, you know what you need to be is on your knees. The posture of our church is to be on our knees pleading for God to move. Please save my kids. Please save my friends. Please save my neighbor. Please save my boss. Please save my enemy. You have to do it because we can't. Do it, Lord. The third thing is this makes us free. If it's really true that it's God who does it and not our own abilities, it makes us free. Because that means you, you're free to go out there and share the gospel. And even if you screw up, it's not on you to change people's hearts. You know, for years, I was a Christian and I wanted to tell my friends about Jesus. But I never did because I didn't want to screw it up and lead them to hell. Like, I, I, I was like, I'm going to just like be nice to them and befriend them. And then I'm going to, I'm going to get them to somebody who can preach the gospel to them appropriately. Anybody ever felt like this or is it just me? Like, I didn't want to screw it up. I was so afraid of screwing it up that I never talked about Jesus to my friends. But here's the good news. It's not on you to change their heart. It's not on you to like butter up the message enough for them to swallow it. You just, you're free to love, free to care, free to minister, free to be there when they have a time of need. You're free to be a friend. You're free to share the gospel. It's God's job to change their heart. So it makes us free because he's the one who's drawing people. Uh, Next one is... um, It makes us thankful. If you're sitting here as a worshiper of God, you know what that means? Before the foundation of the world, he chose to draw you to Jesus. Like he chose you. Like he knew all about you. All the skeletons in your closet. He knew all of your thoughts that nobody knows and chose you anyway. He chose you. He chose me makes us thankful. And so when we have the Christmas tree and you're decorating your Christmas tree, which maybe you're going to do, maybe you've done already, just hopefully you didn't do it before uh, Thanksgiving because that is a sin if you decorate a Christmas tree before Thanksgiving. (laughs) Um, If you dress up, if you, uh, when, when you're decorating your Christmas tree and you put the star on top of your tree, or you put the angel, I don't know, maybe some of you are just star people, some of you are angel people, whatever it is. If you put the star, you're supposed to remember the wise men that were drawn because of the star. If you put the angel, you're supposed to remember that the shepherds were drawn because of the angels. And as you sit around that tree, you're supposed to remember, God drew me too. And so I, as your pastor right now, lovingly charge you, as you sit around your tree this Christmas time, don't make Christmas about what it's not. Don't get caught up in what the world is saying Christmas is about. Consumerism, more stuff, going into debt, buying all this stuff to fill that void inside your heart. No, sit around your tree and be thankful that God gave you the gift of Jesus and he drew you to his son, Jesus Christ. And that is gift enough. It makes us thankful. And last thing, it makes us hopeful. The good news is that the father is drawing people to himself. (laughs) And if you were to read the story of Jesus, you, you see that, yeah, there was thousands around but, and not all of them believed, but guess what? Some of them did. Some of those people were drawn to Jesus. 
And, and the truth is that sometimes we can look at culture right now and we could say, man, this is all getting so dark. It's going to hell in a handbasket. Anybody ever feel like that? Like we're just, like the church people, churches are shutting down all across the nations because so many people are abandoning Jesus. Like it's getting so dark. There's so much selfishness. There's so much narcissism. There's so much anti-God talk. We don't need him, whatever. And sometimes it can just feel like really devastating. But the good news is, is as dark as it gets, God is still drawing people to himself. And if we were to follow the whole thread of Jesus' life, guess what? In the darkest hour, it was actually the greatest hour when Jesus was drawing people to himself. Because when he was crucified on the cross, Even his disciples abandoned him. But it was through that very act where they thought everything was going to hell in a handbasket, and it wasn't. It was just going to him going to hell for their sins. It was in that very act at the darkest hour that God was using as the thing that would draw all nations to himself. And we're here today in Sparks, Nevada because of it. So it makes us hopeful that even in the darkest times, the darker it gets, the lighter the bright shines. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, that in this time where it seems like many people are abandoning God, he's still working, he's still drawing, remain hopeful. Amen? The Father draws us to the gift he gave us. Lord, thank you. We just pray that that you would do these things for us. Make us humble. Make us prayerful. Make us free. Make us thankful, make us hopeful. Lord, I pray specifically just for those Christians who are struggling in life right now. Pain, maybe physical pain, emotional pain, or loneliness. Lord, remind them today of the wonderful gift that you've drawn them to you. I pray, God, for uh, the many of us who are kind of apathetic. We're not really impressed with you drawing people to yourself. And the reality is, is because we're really impressed with ourselves. Humble us, Lord. Show us our need so that we can sit at the base of your throne, worshiping you in thankfulness. I pray for those who are seekers today, God, that they would truly call out to you and say, God, if it's you who draws, then draw me. Prove that you're actually real. And we pray, God, that you would hear their prayer and you would draw them to yourself. And thank you, God, for doing this. We love you. Amen.